This is the Women's Retail Collective podcast, where I, your host, Anne Mazinga, pull together retail's most influential women to talk about their careers, how they made it to senior level leadership, and how they're leading their organizations through the rapidly evolving retail industry. This podcast is made possible through the support of our sponsor, Parcel Pending. Don't just improve your customer experience, make it special with Buy Online Pickup and Locker by Parcel Pending. Purpose built to meet retailers' unique needs, this smart delivery solution seamlessly integrates with existing order management apps and systems to make BOPAs faster, safer, and more flexible for shoppers. To learn more, visit parcelpending.com. Okay, loyal OmniTalk listeners, this is the guest that you and I have been waiting for. Today, joining me on the podcast, I have Chris Rupp. Chris is the Executive Vice President and Chief Customer and Digital Officer at Albertsons Companies. Chris, thank you for taking the time with us and being on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I think you might be one of our most anticipated uh, women's retail collective podcasts ever. We were like, when we were emailing before, I think we maybe teased a little too early that we had been talking to you about being on the podcast and people were like emailing us right away. Like, oh my gosh, when is she going to be on? I want to (laughs) know. Send me, send me a personal email. Oh my gosh. Um, That's exciting. So Yeah. So I have to say, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty excited about this and you've had an amazing career. So this comes as no surprise that people are excited to hear about it. So let's start at the beginning, if you will, tell us kind of a little bit about you, your background and your first job in retail. Oh my gosh. Every time I think about my first career job in retail, I think how much the world has changed because I started my career in retail in 1990. Okay. I was an assistant buyer at LSAR's company in Indianapolis. And uh, I worked in the moderate coordinates team. And that meant that my job was to decide how many matching pantsuits to buy. Oh my gosh. uh, You know, it was, it was, um, one of the biggest buying offices in the company because this casual sportswear was an incredibly important category. But my job was to work on one of the only computers in the entire company to place orders. There were not computers in the other offices. Mine was such a big buying office, I got a computer. But in order to place our purchase orders, I had to walk up to the eighth floor and stand in line with all the other assistant buyers to fax in the purchase orders. <laughs> fax them in. There were so many 90s buzzwords in that last excerpt, Chris, that I feel like from pantsuits to faxing, you've got it to moderate separates. We've got it all uh we've got it all covered. Totally. So they were just so were they doing this on like I mean it probably wasn't even is it spreadsheets? Like how were you putting together orders at that time? I was learning to build spreadsheets, but it was actually just on a tablet where you'd rip off a piece of paper and you'd fill in the blanks with the numbers of how many units you wanted to order for each of the 15 stores that we had. Oh my gosh. The coordination around that alone is pretty mind boggling. I have to imagine. Well, so then where did you go? What happened after that? 
Well, so, you know, unfortunately, this was the time of consolidation in retail and May Company was consolidating all of their regional department stores. They asked me if I wanted to move to St. Louis and that was not in the cards for me. Instead, I moved up to Chicago and I went to work as an assistant buyer at Montgomery Ward, also no longer in business. And from there, after a few years, I moved on to Sears and, uh, I was at Sears then for 10 years, going from working in home fashions as an associate buyer at the time. Um, and by the time I left 10 years later, I was the divisional leader managing the lawn and garden category. So yeah. crafts and tractors is what I was buying at the time. I'm, I'm kind of curious, like what the most like fascinating, like, item of information that you learned about craftsmen or like in your time at Sears, is there anything specifically that you're like, actually this, this particular product, is there something like that? that sticks yes. Out? There is something so fun about this. <laughs> what? You know, in the era when I was working on the craftsman tractors, it's when we discovered a new feature that really helped us charge more money for the tractors. It was uh, the, the little beverage holder. So you could hold your drink as you were driving your tractor around the yard. Oh my gosh. We, we, that you know, is amazing. It's an exercise in consumer convenience. You know, when you're driving that tractor, you want to be able to bring your favorite beverage along with you. Oh so, my gosh. Uh, that was, that was our big finding. And, you know, we added them to all of the tractors. That's amazing. Yeah. I, that's so funny. I was on a project when I was at target actually about adding the cup holder to strollers. Like they were trying to do a focus group specifically on like what the biggest accessory items would be for strollers. And yeah, they're, you know, the cup holder who knew, and then transferred to the, yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) Well, so you're at Sears and then you, you really started, it sounds like from and correct me if I'm wrong, but you really started to get into some of your like tech, more tech forward positions after that. Is that right? That's right. You know, uh, you know, I, I always had a love for technology back to that very first job when I was learning to use Lotus notes, one, two, three in in the buying office at LS airs, you know, at Sears, one of the fun things that I did, uh, I, I managed replenishment for a bunch of different teams along the way. Um, the, the largest area that I managed was I managed all of the hardware department, hardware stores, dealer stores, I managed inventory for all of that. So every hammer, every nail, you know, all of that kind of thing. Um, and so that, that's a pretty big job in terms of it's thousands of stores, thousands of items and very slow selling items in, in right. the scheme of things. So um, managing inventory that way, you start to learn how to apply technology to do it. And so even back in those days, we were working on, you know, how did we do vendor managed inventory in conjunction with our suppliers, you know, uh, using technology to do that um, and using technology to do replenishment. So by the time I left Sears to go to Amazon, I already had a love of figuring out how to do things the easiest way, using technology to make it easier. So uh, as I got to Amazon, now at a company that, that really was prolific in its use of technology, it was so much fun to explore what technology could do to make uh, all of that effort at, at buying those products a lot simpler. And set the stage for us a little bit, Chris, that was Amazon. What year are we talking and where is Amazon kind of in the world at that time? 
Right. So I joined Amazon in 2005, just, I think about a month before Amazon's 10th anniversary. And it's funny. I remember in the interviews, I was interviewing for a job in, um, in, in uh, home. So home and garden. And I was a little worried at the time because I knew Amazon to be very good at books and media but getting into selling home goods was sort of a departure. And I was a little worried that Amazon might not be very good at it. And, you know, I'd only worked for big companies at this point. I hadn't worked for smaller, more startup type companies. And, you know, at the time, Amazon was was still a question mark, whether it would ever be big. And um, I remember asking everyone, do you think this is going to (laughs) work? So well, you, you I, probably I, weren't alone. I, I would. <laughs> I just kept thinking, will people buy pillows if they can't feel them first? I kept mm-hmm. wondering if people were going to buy the pillows. And then, and so throughout your time at Amazon, what kind of things were happening? Like how long were you at Amazon for and what was, what was changing and, and what was your role there? Such a wonderful time at Amazon. Uh, I was there from 2005 through 2015. And uh, when I began, I, I had my first job at Amazon. It lasted for one day, just one day. I went to work there. I worked the whole day. And at the end of the day, I was, I, I had actually gone to work to run replenishment for home and garden. Okay. And um, at the end of my first day, my manager took me to my boss's office and said, you know, she was leaving to go out on maternity leave and she wanted me to take over her role. And so oh. I was not running replenishment for home and garden anymore. I was now running replenishment for all of hard lines for Amazon. Oh. And, uh, and, and it was, you know, June and it was time to place all the orders for Christmas and, uh, you know, and the replenishment systems didn't exist at that point in time. We were buying merchandise off of spreadsheets. Oh my gosh. The hardest part was every time you recalculated that spreadsheet, it would come up $10 million more or $10 million less because it wasn't done in systems the way, of course it would be done today. So the thing that was really fun was that we were building it as, as we were running the business and we were thinking of ways to automate all of the work that we had to do. So, you know, we went straight off of those Excel spreadsheets that didn't work very well into inventory replenishment automation because they partnered me with people who built software and they just kept asking me, what decisions are you making and how do you make them? And they just kept automating all the decisions I was making. (laughs) That's so incredible. I mean, you really had one of the first views of how everything works and functions and everything that we rely upon, those systems that are just core to everything functioning in the world as we know it, especially in the pandemic world, for sure. Um, So then you moved on to Microsoft and what was your role there? Uh, So at Microsoft, I, uh, when I, when I arrived there, I was working in marketing and I was responsible for the Microsoft store and the Microsoft store is the windows store, the Xbox store, you know, any place where you're buying products, whether it's physical or digital. 
And uh, I was working in marketing at the time. So uh, building up the customer base, thinking about the shopping experience, working with engineering teams to, to launch new aspects of that store. I did that for a couple of years until, uh, you know, it, at Microsoft, you typically have um, someone in marketing who's working on a project and then someone in engineering who's working on a project. And one day the engineering job opened up running the Xbox store and I was working very closely with those teams already. And I thought, I'm really enjoying building the customer base, but I want to have more control over the features in the store. Sure. And in, at, at Microsoft, the person that makes that decision is the engineering leader. So I jumped over to be the engineering leader in Xbox, reporting to Phil Spencer and responsible for the Xbox store. And uh, so I did that for the next two years, just building out the uh, monetization capabilities in Xbox. I think that's so interesting, especially as we kind of make it into your current role at Albertsons, because it, it almost is just this like perfect marriage of the like the tech and side and like systemization of things and making taking all the operations and engineering components and making that simpler and easier to understand. But then at Microsoft, you know, being on the customer and marketing side of things, being able to kind of perfectly marry those two worlds. Tell us a little bit about this job, because it's only been, you just said it's been a little over a year now. And, you know, I ask a lot of women on this, this show, you know, if there is, you know, standout moments in their career that really have shaped them. And I have to believe that you know, being in your position in a role in at Albertsons that maybe has no, that nobody has ever gone through. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah. It has to be one of those times. So it does. it's a big lead in, but I, I want to know how's the last year been going and what are, what are you up to? Yeah. I think there's not a person on this planet that you would ask that question of that wouldn't say the last year has been crazy. So I'll just be just <laughs> another person to say, it's just been a wild year. Um, you know, from, from my perspective, I got this job and started uh, just over a year ago in December. And the first three months, December, January, February, I was meeting the team, learning about the customers, looking at the data, learning about the business, learning about the industry. I've, I've never worked in grocery before. Um, and and uh, I got a good opportunity to do that for a couple of months until March. You all remember March is the month that we all went into our homes and didn't come back out again for a few months. Um, what was what was interesting about this from my perspective is that, so I'm new at the company and I'm a, a new leader in this space and, you know, grocery e-commerce just blew up. It went crazy. Right. Everybody went to their homes and was afraid of the, you know, the implications of the virus. And we had to figure out a way to feed people, you know, and, and we took that job very seriously in that, you know, if, if people didn't want to leave their homes to go to the store, we didn't want them to have to, but also we weren't built for that type of scale. We hadn't had to stretch our capacity in, in the ways that we were going to have to. So, you know, uh, orders started rolling in, it soaked up all of our capacity in hours. 
you know, uh, we realized that the first thing that we had to do was add as much capacity as possible to e-commerce so that customers wouldn't have to come into the store if they didn't want to. And so, so while, you know, on my side of the house, I was working on how do we ramp up our e-commerce services. At the same time, the teams that were focused on the store environment were really concerned with how do you make it a safe shopping environment for customers and for our associates and teams out there? And yeah. so, you know, I think that was all of our concern at the very beginning is that, you know, this is food. We can't just shut down. Right. We have to find a way to do it safely. And so, you know, in the e-commerce side of things, then we just went to work scaling. And, um, you know, you were starting to hear at the same time that because people have gone into their homes, there were a lot of other businesses that were shutting down, uh, you know, the travel industry, most notably, uh, you know, just just went went quiet overnight. Right. And uh, so uh, we had some teams at Albertsons that went to work with the travel industry to find all of the displaced workers there to find out if we could place them in roles at Albertsons so that we could staff up inside our grocery stores and our e-commerce facilities so that we'd be able to ship more to customers. Um, you know, we, uh, we had to ramp up thousands of in-store workers, you know, literally overnight just to get right. the capacity to, to shop for groceries for people. Um, so there was this, this component of just going to hire people to get the capacity and then there was also the, you know, um, grocery e-commerce is not at scale today. It's not working the way that it could or should work uh, to really be an easy and wonderful experience for customers. So, you know, while the very first thing we had to do is just go get some scale, you know, we were also thinking we're never going to do a great job with the tools we've got. We've got to go right. rebuild some aspects of how we work. Um, maybe one of the most notable things is the picking tool that we use in our stores uh, in order to pick the customer order. It doesn't do a very good job of helping our associates identify the right thing for customers. Right. So, you know, that's a project that we've taken on over the past year, rebuilding uh, picking software so that now we have custom picking software it's in about 150 of our stores. It's going to be in all of our stores by the end of April, because mm -hmm. we realized that, uh, you know, there's so many decisions that go into picking the best piece of fruit or the best piece of meat or all of the components of your meal for tonight. There's so many decisions that are made on the fly as you're doing that grocery shop that we, we really need to put more thought into how we guide our pickers to make those decisions on behalf of our customers. So that's just been another aspect of how we've worked to scale up our operation this year. Chris, you just listed like the 10 most important things that are happening at, at any <laughs> retailer, I think in the last year, how in the world are you coming to work every day and prioritizing these things. Like, especially Ooh. when you have like people, you know, like people are at the core, both your employees and associates and your customers. And then, you know, scaling up this technology that's really going to ultimately serve. Like there's just this, I mean, it makes me like kind of clench up just to think about how right. are you doing that? What were you, what were you, how are you getting through it? Well, you know, I think, um, 
my my time at Amazon prepared me well for for an aspect of this. Um, you know, it was such a growth environment that you were always leaning into how do I hire more big leaders that can help us make a lot of great decisions, uh, doing the right thing for customers, people who you know have great experience in 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 a field of expertise. And so, you know, I just sort of come naturally trained to think I'm not going to do this all by myself. I'm going to go get help. And, uh, you know, so, so very early on, even, even before that happened, I had already been thinking about what type of leaders I would need. So, you know, um, early last year, we built out a leadership team in the customer and digital organization that is experts from a, a number of different fields. We hired a gentleman that was running the Hilton Honors Program to come mm-hmm. run our loyalty program um, so that we could expand our loyalty program to go beyond discounts and into what is experiential for customers. And we're working to design that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hired a leader from Amazon who had run um, businesses at Amazon, but had also you know, gone on past Amazon to run small technology companies to lead shopping experiences for us. Uh, We hired a leader from Walmart to run fulfillment for us. He had been running transportation systems at Walmart. So we went out and got experts that, um, that, that knew the functions well and that came to Albertsons to help design a new experience for customers that we could build while we were, you know, flying the plane. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you, and you know, no big deal. You just figured out how to like, one of the things that we've been talking about, I'm talking how to do, you know, these kiosks in parking lots to, I mean, while the pandemic is going on and you're trying to figure out all these things, I'd love to hear you tell me a little bit um, from your words, especially, you know, as a mom too, like, I have to understand that some of the like core conveniences that you're putting these pilots that you're putting out, like, you know, they're, they're meaningful to you as a, just as a a customer too, but tell me a little bit about the, the jewel Osco pilot and the pickup kiosks that you're deploying and, and how your team kind of got that off the ground during. Yeah. I think, you know, um, first of all, you said something that really resonates with me and that's knowing who your customer is and really having so much empathy for your customer and and really personalizing their experience. And uh, I am a mom and fortunately grocery duty is not my responsibility in in our household, but I have so much empathy for moms and dads who work already, take care of their family and still have to find a way to put a meal on the table every night. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a very mission driven kind of individual and I see it as my mission to make that experience an easier one. And we certainly can. And that's what we're working at now. I I would not profess that we have done anything that really helps in that regard yet. All we've done so far is scale out our service to be able to accommodate many, many customers wanting to buy from us in, uh, uh, delivery or drive up and go, but, but it's our mission to make it much simpler to put meals on the table. 
And so, so we are just getting started at that. And our intention is to keep thinking about who our customer is and what their needs are. So the lockers, you know, it seems like, you know, such a great idea instead of having to have contact with other humans, when you come right. to get your groceries, you place your order in advance, it's in the locker, come up when it's right for you, when you're ready. Right. And you can come to the locker, get your foods out of it, make sure they're all there. You don't even have to have interaction with anyone, which is wonderful when you're in a hurry and you don't want to stand in lines and you don't want to have to wait for someone else to come out to the car to bring your groceries. And so this is just one mode of delivering groceries that we're exploring to learn about how customers use this. And uh, we're exploring many, many types all over the country. We have different types of lockers that we've installed because we just at this stage want to learn how customers are using them so that it can be part of our overall plans as we keep thinking about how to make grocery shopping easier. And are there any teasers you can give us, Chris, about what we might expect from any of these pilots or do we have to wait? Uh, well, I would say it's not so much that I'm keeping big secrets. It's that the process itself is about putting, you know, 30 ideas out there and figuring out what customers tell you that they enjoy. So, you know, we're, we're trying lots of different kinds of things from, you know, many more ready-made meals, um, many more uh, easy to cook meals, uh, those things being available in store so that your cooking experience isn't a difficult one. And then, you know, we've got lots of different things we're trying on the website and in the app in terms of serving up different offerings to customers, sure. to see what they respond to there. And then uh, we're going to try lots of different fulfillment options, very, very fast fulfillment options. We have not in the past been able to be fast but um, we're doing a lot of work on our systems and operations so that, uh, you know, uh, it, typically if you've come to place an order for your groceries, most of the, the times that you found that you can get those uh, either delivered to you or that you can come pick them up, it's usually tomorrow. Okay. You know, we've, we've got a pilot going in Chicago where we're doing it in two hours. And we'll get it down to, we think, under two hours. And we'll be able to do that nationally this year. And the whole idea is I want people to be able to decide what they want to eat for dinner this afternoon. Right. And I want it to be a couple of clicks. And I want you to go home and I want your dinner to be there waiting for you. And I don't want it to be a lot of hard work. I just right. want you to be able to go home and enjoy your dinner with your family. Yeah, no, that's, I, I totally agree. I think that's one of the, one of the best things um, to come out of, of this time, this last year is just the, the ease of being able to make that, those choices, um, you know, more last minute than we have ever been able to before. And I don't think that's something that people are going to move off of. I really don't. So I'm, I'm excited to, yeah, I'm excited to hear that that's still in the works and you know, one thing I wanted to point out about your response there that I particularly appreciated is that, you know, you're still kind of um, listening to where the customer is telling you they want. You're still testing before you just say, you know, these are the things we're going to launch this year. We're going to go forward. We're going to put it out there and, you know, do a big PR spray and tell everybody what we're doing instead of actually saying like, we're, we're going to like see where it evolves. I, I think that that's, that's really impressive. Um, and I think speaks to the experiences you described throughout 
your career up to this point. I'm curious if you have any uh, like personal tenants that you hold um, in high regard for yourself for the types of work that you're continuing to do, like things that you uh, feel like it's important to maintain as you continue your career in a very, you know, fast paced, quickly changing industry. Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, as it relates to what we've been going through in the past year, um, I think one of the most important things when you come into a crisis moment like this is to put on your own oxygen mask first. You know, I remember that very first week when the business was exploding and we were trying to figure out what was happening with the business. We had we have hundreds of thousands of associates to take care of, you know, mm -hmm. so, so those things were on our mind, you know, top most at the moment. And still I have my own family to take care of kids to worry about getting into school. You know, uh, I had all of that to worry about and, you know, and, and like everyone else, I was just worried about what is this virus and, and right. how do we protect ourselves and keep ourselves healthy. And, you know, I think, um, the practice that we took at work was to say to each other and to ourselves, put on your own oxygen mask first, which mm -hmm. just meant that, you know, you know, this, this, this is a sickness that's going to affect all of us. You know, we need to think about ourselves and our families and keeping ourselves healthy first and foremost, and then figure out how we're going to work to take care of everyone else too. And so um, I think that's really just an important thing to keep yourself grounded when something like this happens. Um, but beyond, you know, this type of experience, uh, I think, you know, the, the kind of changes that we're making, they, they, um, they're very big changes and it's a lot, it causes a lot of friction. You, you have to change existing processes internal inside the company, but also with suppliers and partners externally, you're just changing the way things work. Mm -hmm. And leading that kind of change means a lot of disruption and it requires a lot of energy to bring that change. And, uh, you know, I think, I think finding your inner motivation to do it can be hard. And it's the thing that you, you have to do for yourself. Um, I think it's why I'm mission driven because I, I don't really want to just think about, you know, my job is to implement a system or a business practice. My job is to make things easier for, for people who need them to be easier to live better lives. And when I think about it being mission driven in that way, it's so much easier for me to find all of that energy that it's going to require. And is that it? Is that what drives you? You think, Chris, like that's your, that's kind of your personal motivator is just getting to the humanity of what it is you're doing every day. Yeah. And, and I think, um, feeling like the thing that you're doing is a creative venture, one that requires building, um, one that requires, um, you know, putting things together in new ways that haven't been done before. I think it satisfies sort of a, a, a creative desire in me to generate new things. And I think somewhere, somewhere between the newness and the building and then the, it's also about taking care of people. I think bringing those things together is just what gives me energy. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
I think about something you said earlier um, as it relates to maybe advice that you would give people. And that was when you were talking about building the team uh, at Albertsons, like the leadership team to really take on everything that you had ahead of you, scaling the business, um, serving customers, keeping employees safe. What are the things that you looked for, like the characteristics and backgrounds, obviously a diverse work experience, but like, what were the, the core things about the people that you really looked to, um, or that you would advise people to maybe build on their own resumes if possible? Yeah, I think, um, you know, diversity of work experience and diverse people is one of the first things that I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have had such a number of wonderful experiences in my career by bringing together people with different ideas and of different backgrounds. And if you, if you can bring people together that think differently, but can interact in such respectful ways to listen to each other's ideas and sort of share this, this sort of same mission together, if you get a group of people together to do that, magic things start to happen. You know, people really give it their best because they know that the work they're doing is important. And when people are collaborating actively with each other to get it done, there's so much more forward motion. I've seen it work and not work, but you know, it's so delightful to be in an environment where you feel so much positive forward motion. And so, you know, I would say, you know, the advice is to just look for situations where you see that happening, where people are respected for the thoughts and ideas that they bring that are different and new and unique. And everyone on the team is needed to be there for who they are and for what they bring. And then it's just a matter of how are we going to get it done together? And uh, you can make that a lot more fun when everyone in the room feels like they're really making a difference. There you have it. If you want to work on Chris Rupp's team, you better have some serious motivation and be ready to, uh, to, to jump in with your diverse background and tackle some serious tasks. Um, Chris, it's been amazing to talk to you and to hear all about your background. Um, you've had, like we, we talked about, you've had some pretty amazing, uh, experiences first of, of their kind experiences in your, your time, um, at, from all the way from, from Sears to, uh, to Albertsons today, as you look back on your career, if you could go and write a thank you note to one person who you think has had a significant impact on where you are today in this, this leadership position, this team that you've had so much success with in the last year, who would you write that note to? And what would you say to them? Hmm. Oh gosh. I really hate the idea of having to pick just one person. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I've been so fortunate. I've worked in a lot of different places and, you know, you, you take a little bit from all of the different leaders that you've worked with and for and around. Um, I guess one thing, I'll, I'll say one thing that's coming to mind, although like if you ask me at a different moment, different things could come to mind. Sure. But, um, you know, uh, 
one of the leaders that I worked for when I was at Amazon, um, uh, his name was Tom Taylor. He still works there today. And Tom, um, uh, Tom leads Alexa today. And I worked for him when I was running Fulfillment by Amazon. And it was the first job where I was leading a product management team and working closely with engineers to build products. Mm-hmm. I intentionally took that role because I wanted to learn to be a product leader. Before I'd been a business and a category leader, a retail leader, but I had not ever built products before. And I remember uh, early on in my tenure in that position, it was probably my first week on the job. He was saying, Chris, you're not going to manage engineers the way you manage business people. (laughs) I said, well, why not? They're just people, right? And uh, yes, they're just people. But the, the way you do engineering projects is not the same way that you do business projects. So you're going to have to think differently and interact differently. And I I really feel like in many ways that particular role was almost a school for how to act with engineering leaders so that you can collaborate such that what you want to do for customers, what you want to build, the products you want to be able to offer to customers, you go about it in the best way in terms of building that with the engineering teams. And uh, I learned a ton from Tom about how to build products and uh, how to work with engineering teams. And for that, I am forever grateful. Thank you, Tom, because we, uh, we're so lucky, Chris, that you're in this retail world and that you have the knowledge that you have gained from Tom, from your experience and all of your hard work. I cannot thank you enough. This has been so inspiring for me especially I think as a lot of us in in the retail industry are really trying to find the purpose behind the work that it is that we're all trying to do um, and during this time more than ever so thank you Chris so much for your time today Uh, where should people be keeping track of what's going on with you should they follow you on LinkedIn on on albertsons.com Yes, and also okay. uh, and also on albertsons.com, we, we have a press center there and uh, we'll start talking in earnest about all of the great things that we'll be launching and doing for customers over the next several months, but we expect it to start getting hot and heavy soon. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> but thank you, this has been such a pleasure to be able to talk about the work the team has been doing. Thank you so much. This was Chris Rupp, the Executive Vice President and Chief Customer and Digital Officer at Albertsons Companies. If you could hold your own concert with three bands, dead or alive, who are you going to choose? Oh, well, Duran Duran is the first one invited. Yes. Okay, Uh, super excited about that one. Okay, so Duran Duran has to be there. I think I have to invite the Eagles as well. Uh, let's see. Can I just have Frank Sinatra just to round it out? Oh yeah. Personally serenade you? Absolutely. Yeah, this is thinking, your concert. That's what I yeah. was thinking. Every the lights go low and it's just, you know, a stool and Frank up on stage and you just yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. That's I, I think that's what I'd enjoy. 